we've never had this before. We've never had the public involved in our contract. And I see a lot of customers out there right now excited for us and excited for labor. It's such a shame that our title has been dragged to the ground and that this position is no longer seen as a legitimate career that students tell us that they're like, oh yeah, like why, why do you even do this? You know. Even though I, I've always been a good Democrat, we are not an extension of the Democratic Party. And we can't be. We should be doing politics when it makes sense for unions. When you come back from the wild, you look at the trees that are all in a row and everything's manicured and you just shake your head. You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. I'm Chris Garlock. On this week's show, David, Greg, and Richard talk about the UPS contract ratification and what is to come on the Roswell Hub podcast. From the PCTA Fire podcast, the history and concept of striking in Florida. The Union or Bust podcast welcomes the labor queen herself, Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher, Executive Secretary-Treasurer of the California Labor Federation. They talk shop on unionism, what solidarity means to Gonzalez Fletcher, and what work needs to be done to get out of this hole the country is in. And in the seventh episode of the Alberta Worker Podcast second season, Kim Siever interviews Jordan Wilkie, a firefighter in the Edmonton area and the leader of the Green Party of Alberta. Jordan talks about working as a float plane pilot, becoming a firefighter, deciding to lead the Green Party, and the importance of class solidarity. A few times he tries to switch roles with Kim. That's all ahead on this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. What is going on, everybody? So today I have Greg Kerwood out of Local 25 in Boston and Richard Hooker, Principal Officer of Local 623 in Philadelphia. And I said two weeks ago I was going to be on a break. That is still going to continue, but there was just so much that came down the pipeline that I felt like was very necessary for us to cover. You know, we had the ratification of the contract. How does back pay going to work? And then also, for any veteran that works here, knows that the hammer comes down after a contract is ratified, management is going to nitpick you. And we want to prepare you guys for what's to come. So let's first start it off. The ratification of the contract. I'm going to throw it to Richard Hooker. Um, what do we know so far with this ratification? Well, um, everything is going to kick off on my birthday, August 27th. So those wages will be in um, all the, uh, you know, no four, six punches and no more article two, two fours. Everybody will be O three hundreds. Um, article 17 will be kicked in with the, the penalty pays and all these different things. So that's some good news. And, and like you said earlier, man, um, be ready. Um, be prepared for war. These guys are, are already starting um, to ramp up discipline and lay off a lot of people. So we had 86% um, to vote it through. We're going to need 100% to enforce it. Rance, what's on your mind right now? Well, uh, if I'm going to rant about anything, it's going to be that uh, our members need to understand that the battle is not over, uh, that this is the halfway point and not the finish line. 
and that this contract isn't worth anything if we don't get in there and enforce it. Um, hand in hand with that, the company is obviously, uh, as Rich alluded to, and, and you did coming after uh, everyone for everything, uh, trying to remind everybody that they're still the boss uh, and put on this tough guy act. Um, you need to do your job the way you're supposed to do it. Um, follow the methods and, and and do what you're supposed to do and protect yourself. And at the same time, uh, you know, learn the new contract. That's going to be a, a big issue going forward. I'm sure we'll be talking about it for months on this show. But everybody needs to know what that new language is, because I can tell you right now, uh, you know, there's more language in this contract that needs us to enforce it than any contract I've seen previously, uh, whether it's new sure post rules or, or nine five rules or pay penalties. Uh, there's a lot of language in there that the company is going to completely ignore. I, I can promise you they are just going to continue on about their business. And if we don't step up and enforce this new language, and hold them accountable, uh, then we've wasted our time with this entire process. Um, so I would encourage everybody to, uh, you know, get the new language, read it, ask questions about it, uh, and keep your eyes peeled when you're, you know, on the shop floor or on the road, and then follow the methods and protect yourself and do what you're supposed to do. The one thing I got to say real quick is as far as rants go, it's, it's something I see perspective a little bit differently on the road as a driver. And I think all the other drivers, packed car drivers out there have seen it too, is we go out there and we've had customers left and right coming up to us talking about the contract. You know, some people somehow think that we make 170 K a year, but whatever, <laughs> in the end of the day, we've never had this before. We've never had the public involved in our contract and I see a lot of customers out there right now excited for us and excited for labor. And, you know, with the auto workers, with their contract expiring, the UAW is following our footsteps. And this isn't just the IBT doing their thing. This is the members actually going out there, doing the practice pickets, putting the boots on the ground and having the media come out. We made a big spectacle of it. I think you should be very proud of that. I think it's awesome. So I do appreciate everybody tuning into this channel. Uh, it's done phenomenal and I love all you guys and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Hi everyone. I'm Brennan Pickett and I'm the FEA director for the Pinellas Classroom Teacher Association. Recently, we wrapped up our final reflections concerning the NEA representative assembly. But after two hours of unscripted conversation in Ramsey Aziz's quote unquote, Toby McGuire-esque apartment, Various topics unrelated to our experiences at the convention made it on the mic, and we felt it deserved its own episode. Specifically, Florida's relationship with the S-word, or strikes. For a little context before we dive into the conversation, simply put, Florida is a right-to-work state, and many laws are currently working against us in the Florida labor movement in general. However, in 1968, the Florida Education Association did authorize the first teacher-related strike in the history of the United States after increased union activism and state underfunding in the Florida public school system. Depending on who you ask, it was a victory and a failure for Florida teachers. On one side, Florida did end up increasing the funding for public schools and collective bargaining was written into the state constitution unions were finally recognized as the bargaining agent for teachers. On the other hand, this came at the cost of an agreement that Florida teachers would never authorize a strike again. 
It's important to note many educators were never rehired in their school districts after the strike ended. And if the union were to strike today, it would result in heavy fines for the union and individual participants would forfeit their pensions, certificates, and risk the same fines the union would face. So here we go. I'm going to drop you into where this conversation began with Philip Ocastro, Dr. Anna Margiata, Ramsey Aziz, Kelsey Donegan, and myself. Enjoy our debate. Like, it's it's hard to get that many people to cooperate on something in the same way. And something as serious as a strike affect. Like, I get why you want to do it, because you will live off rice and beans in a tent, and you're fine with that to make a point. You don't have kids, though. You don't have, like, True. people... You don't have a mortgage to pay. Yes. Um... And I, I cannot imagine being any of the teachers at our school. I can't imagine. I remember the other day, a uh, friend of the show, legendary person in general, Shannon Vincent. Phenomenal. Um, phenomenal person. I saw a text where she, it was like the first or second day of school where she was talking about this big meal she made for her family after she got home from work. I went home and passed out in bed with my cat. Because I was just drained, exhausted. I cannot imagine having a family that you are, like, making dinner for and taking care of. And then the thought of, okay, my 8-year-old or my 15-year-old or whoever has to eat food. And if I'm not working, I have no money to bake that house. I, I won't even lie. On that first day of school, I had the two-day leftover pizza. Mind you, I'm also broke. And then I had, a like, half a beer and I, like, died. But, I mean, so what you're saying makes sense, but increasingly so, this is not a career move for most people. So there are some people, like people who've been on the podcast, like people we know in real life and, you know, from the show or whatever, who are just, they've been in it for too long. They can't get out. They're they're just, like, neck deep in, this is this has been their career because they bought their home 20 years ago when it was affordable. Their kids are in their teens, like, ready to go to college. They're in the trenches. Know. They're in the trenches. They can't do anything, so they're stuck. But increasingly, you've got people like us, all of us except for Ramsey, are in our 30s, childless. You know, we have, like, fairly stable living conditions or reliable living conditions, right? And we can go and do anything with all of our transferable skills and certifications anywhere. But I, I want to teach. I mean, I do too, but soon you're not going to be able to. <laughs> I, but, like, what I'm saying is it's not like... A, I don't think of this in any sense as a career up or down or lateral move to something else. I I knew in my first two weeks that I will never want to work administration in my life. Oh, yeah, totally. If I want to leave the public schools, my goal would be to go get a tenured professorship somewhere. Right. Because that's the upward mobility. You and I But both. I want to be in a classroom. Yes, yeah. So, like, the idea of, like, transferring my skills to something else or my youth or whatever... It's still a detriment to me because what I want to do is teach. But at the same time, you know, to kind of push back on that as the the 23-year-old, like, who doesn't know anything, um, the one thing I do know, you don't have any responsibilities right now, so you can do that, just like me. I, we, we all three, all, actually, basically all of us, with the exception of uh, Mr. Pickett, who uh, bought a house. Capitalist and has, sellout. Yeah, he bought a house, he has a wife. With Not the, yet, with, tomorrow. With the, exception, <laughs> with the exception of him, the rest of us on this episode, we have no legitimate responsibilities. We could do this, but 
the day that you know Philip is uh, tired of living in an apartment and actually wants to own something, the day when you know uh, Anna wants to go ahead and like you know go and do whatever it is that Anna wants to do with their life, the day that you want to have a wife and a family, that for me buying a house is an impossibility. Maybe you guys have a chance. I don't. Brandon, you have. If Brendan's doing it, you might have the potentiality. You know, you just gotta find yourself a girl. That's the only <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, I need to consolidate wealth no. and status. That's like that's the only thing you're doing. Wait, hey, that, it, it's working for Brendan right now. But like for me, if like, there are any there ladies is, out there who want to consolidate their wealth and status, <laughs> call me. <laughs> but for like for like me, it's like a legitimate thing that like in ten years from now, like this is not going to be an option. I won't be able to buy a house like. That, like potentially the rest of you guys I won't be able to have a family and I've come to terms with that I've accepted that you know I don't intend to be a, a high school teacher forever I want to be a college professor but still you know it's such a shame that our title has been dragged to the ground and that this position is no longer seen as a legitimate career that students tell us that they're like oh yeah like why why do you even do this you know, it's just frustrating. It's so frustrating. So like, we need to take that, I guess, that radical revolutionary stance with our union. You know, but we that's can't what keep the union does. But it's not. It does. It's playing we the neoliberal game. And we can lobby. Nothing gets done in this country unless you have money. That's it. Nothing gets done. That's why things like we hate keep winning because they have money, right? And. What I'm trying to say is they want public education to fail. They yes. want it to yes. fail. We, if we, we all walk out and if Florida teachers all decided to strike, that's it. Public education has failed. It will fail. It doesn't matter. They'll replace it with charter schools. They will. They will. That's it for today. I'm Brennan Pickett. Peace out, guys. Hey everybody, Juan Perez here, uh, your union brother right here. How's everyone doing? I'm Chris Lopez. I am your union brother on TikTok, Instagram, all the platforms. All the platforms. And, and uh, when you mix high-octane uh, energy drinks and organizing, you do get Organizing Monster. Sponsored by Monster. <laughs> <laughs> We're just bullshitting. This is Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher, all right? And uh, you know, tell us a little about your, yourself, your background, and uh, hopefully nothing about me. Thank you. First of all, I am your union sister. Um, I've got. I'm, maybe I need to get that on TikTok. Uh, I so this is awesome being back in San Diego, as you guys know. Of course, I started my union career here in San Diego. Um, I worked at the San Diego and Imperial Counties Labor Council right here in this very building. Um, uh, Twenty years ago, I guess. Uh, I was a political director there, um, ended up becoming the secretary treasurer uh, of the Labor Council. And then I went and took a detour, went to the assembly for about eight and a half, nine years, and um, had the opportunity, was asked to come back to the labor movement to basically had become the secretary treasurer of the California Labor Federation. So uh, doing the same thing I did here in San Diego, but statewide and, and having a good time doing it.
That's awesome. That's awesome. So real quick, um, I follow you on all the platforms, and uh, and I see that you have Unionized California. What is Unionized California? I got it on my shirt, You got too. it on your shirt. Got it everywhere. I have a shirt, too. Uh, <laughs> but if you can explain a little bit what it is. Is it a campaign? Is it a just a website? Or what's going on there? It is the union movement in California. So what we wanted to do, it's been about a year now that I've, uh, I was elected to head the labor fed and we wanted to really think about what we were doing in the Federation. So I've been in, in organized labor long enough that we've kind of had these ebbs and flows, right? There were times I'd say in the 2010s, 2009, we were like scared to even say the word union. We were trying to be like, we're for working families or we're, you know, we're part of the community. And it, it was because there was a lot of backlash and we weren't embracing exactly what we did. We want to do just the opposite right now. Of course, one of the great things is this is a great time to be in organized labor, right? Everybody wants a union, literally every Everyone wants a union, but it's also important to make sure people know we're here, that we're here for a specific reason. So we said, what if we refocused everything we did on two basic principles, one being to help our unions and our union members get stronger contracts, to be in a better position, to ensure that they're uh, getting the most out of what they can get at work, make sure their voice is really strong at work. And the second is to grow the movement, to actually grow more union members. Um, we know, of course, as union density goes up, it's good for all of us. It's good for those of us in the union movement, right? It helps, it helps with our contracts. It, it makes us more powerful, but it's also good for workers who don't yet have the opportunity to have a union, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And we know that. And so we said, what if we focus everything just on those two principles, right? That's why we're here. And of course, everybody kind of nods their head and says, well, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. But are we really doing it was my question. So for example, our legislative program in the state capitol, are we looking at every bill that we're thinking about really putting our time and effort into and saying, does this grow the labor movement or help strengthen somebody's contract? And if not, why are we doing it? You know, it, it's not our time right now to, to work on other people's issues. It's our time to work on worker issues. And so um, when it comes to politics, one of my pet peeves, even though I, I've always been a good Democrat, you know, I'm a, a progressive Democrat, but we are not an extension of the Democratic Party. And we can't be. We should be doing politics when it makes sense for unions. We should be supporting workers who support unions. We shouldn't be supporting workers who might have a D behind their name, but don't support unionizing California coming out of the pandemic and the entry into the workforce of a new generation of workers who realize they're fucked. And I, oh, you can, do you, you want can me cuss. to? You can cuss. Okay, I can cuss. We'll yeah. cut it out if you okay. want, but probably not. Um, yeah, probably not. But a, a whole generation of, of workers who are like, this whole system is out of whack. How do I unfuck a system? And we, as the labor movement, are the only people there that can do that. We know that. So when you look at those numbers of 71% approval ratings, which is phenomenal, if you look at young people, it's even higher. If you look at that under 30 group, we're, we're sitting about 85, 90%. You know, if it were the next generation. And what we can't do is stop, we can never stop having the excitement, having the opportunity, having the enthusiasm for this movement to build the long-term density. That's awesome. Thank you for having me. Cool. One hot labor summer. Hot labor summer. Oh, there you go. We're guilty of it. That's all right. We're, we're, we're about to transition to 
Endless Union Summer. There's Endless Union Summer. See, you guys got a preview Ooh. of my next uh, hashtag. Oh, you heard it first. Oh, you heard it first. <laughs> Union or bust. I told you. Union or bust. All right, cool. Well, Endless think- Union Summer. Hey, fellow workers. My name is Kim Seaver, and you are tuning in to another episode of the Alberta Worker Podcast. We are a proud member of the Labor Radio Network, as well as new of this season, a Harbinger Media Network. We are broadcasting from the territory of the Nitsitsapi. This is episode seven of season two. And I am pleased to welcome our guest today, Jordan Wilkie, leader of the Green Party of Alberta and a firefighter in the Edmonton area. Welcome, Jordan. Hey, Kim. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. You betcha. My grandfather is a pioneer in, in aviation uh, in Canada. His name is Max Ward, and he uh, was a bush pilot up in the north from, you know, a single airplane going through the harshest conditions. Uh, he grew uh, a, a, an incredible company that, you know, everyone was very proud to to work for. And, and um, there's a lot of honor around uh, the service that he gave and how he treated people. And so, again, a lot to live up to in my family, but a lot of service and a lot of focusing on doing the right thing and helping out people. For me, I always wanted to be, you know, helpful, a hero, you could say, as a kid, you know, growing up. And my first word was actually truck because I had a fire truck. And so I was that uh, pinnacle kid that grew up with fire trucks, wanted to be a firefighter and then followed my dream to become a firefighter. So that was an exciting, you know, roundabout journey. And it took, again, a lot of sacrifice and a lot of dedication. Uh, I was turned down and I was told all my life, you know, you're too small to be a firefighter or, you know, it's too difficult stop trying. But I think that a lot of that really forged that mentality of breaking through to to ensure that, you know, your dreams matter and that you can work hard and get to where you need to be. Right. Speaking of like first jobs, uh, I know you asked that. I, following sort of the family heritage, I was up in Yellowknife uh, working with float planes, uh, docking float planes and, and working in the aviation industry up there. It was uh, kind of a lot different back then and, and not as regulated. It, it's still pretty... Pretty cool up in in Yellowknife and up in the north, but you know I think things just changed a lot. So how old were you? I started when I was about fifteen, working up there in the summers. Yeah, you know, experiencing just a total you know different world up there. Where you know at some point there is no night. You know, once you get up into the further north, you kind of get that connection to the land totally differently. Everything is no longer in a grid system, and you see what it what it's really like. You know, being a kid that's grown up in cities, uh, it was definitely a, a huge eye opener for me. Totally, and I imagine that probably affected your outlook on life and society and whatnot. It did it made me question? You know, because if you're not pulled out of the, uh, the you know sort of the like I call it the grid system, when you come back from the wild, you look at the trees that are all in a row and everything's manicured and you just shake your head uh, and you wonder why we're doing all of this when we lose touch with the natural world and with the environment that sustains us uh, then you know bad things happen obviously that's been very influential for me and and moving towards the green party yeah it's just been such a, a a crazy journey to be up you know, in the middle of nowhere, and then to come back and try to reestablish yourself back into society. Sometimes as a young kid, uh, it was kind of a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, but I appreciated, you know, all the time up there uh, working. And, you know, as soon as I could, I was doing co-ops with the fire and getting that career. Yeah, I just worked my tail off and did a lot of work in, in hospitals, doing uh, some volunteer, uh, some low-paid 
uh, jobs where I would, you know, move patients around hospitals and just to get into the system. And I went out to BC and, and became a, an EMT out there and, you know, went through the ambulance system and I ended up getting hired in Edmonton. If I uh, hadn't got hired in Edmonton, I was actually going up to uh, back up to Yellowknife to be a firefighter there for a while. Oh, wow. It was always my focus. And it was kind of like, uh, you just keep going until you, you can't do it anymore. Right. Whatever you can. I, I did serving jobs. I worked in a fish and chip shop, all those, all those nice. <laughs> while I was uh, studying and, and just, you know, working out and, and making sure that I was at my best for this position because it's, it's a hell of a job and it's, it's been an exciting career. Sure. Thanks very much, Jordan, for joining us today. It was a great conversation. Thanks also to all of our listeners for joining in and as always, solidarity. Hey folks, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Hope you enjoyed this sample of some of the programs aired recently on more than 200, 200 Labor Radio and Podcast shows across the country. They're all part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns. We've got links to all the shows, laborradionetwork.org. You can also find them. Use the hashtag laborradiopod on Twitter. I guess they call it X now, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produce the show and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock urging you to stay active. And of course, stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. Have a great Labor Day and see you next week.